This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. This week's podcast, I suppose you could say, is almost a discussion about obsession. Sometimes when we suffer a traumatic incident in our life, the loss of a loved one, health, other kinds of misfortune, we think it has no effect, no sort of conscious effect, and we think we can sort of combine this into our lives and we will just carry on as normal. But sometimes these obsessions really take hold and it can be an obsession about anything. Uh, I once had an obsession about health. I still have, I think, although I'm still here and still ticking, and uh, I must have been made by Timex, I think, given the shocks I've had during the course of my life. But this one is about Emily. Emily has just suffered the loss of her husband, and quietly she becomes obsessed about various things, truth, honesty, and most of all, Dust. This is A Settling of Dust by Bill Allerton. The corner in which Emily sat behind thick white frame ropes seemed unnaturally quiet. Emily wondered if this arrangement was to protect the mourners from the curious or to protect the curious from the grief inside. There was even a sign that said, Reserved for the wake. The court restaurant was busy, unusually so, but on a cold day such as today, thought Emily, there'd be no time for sandwiches in the park, no sun to warm your back, and now no other back to warm, no Albert to snuggle up to, to put your arm around, Tip a lazy leg over to feel his soft hairs slide against your own skin. She quenched the rising spark of a tear with pale, tepid tea from an over-delicate china cup. She closed her eyes, and the restaurant clattered its bleak, oblong length back at her, echoing the teaspoons of elderly couples eating scones with dark, Dams and jams, staring blankly and wide-eyed across the table with that look of everything having already been said by breakfast. That would never now happen for her. Perhaps it's time for a new start, for all of us, thought Emily. She felt a large stone of emotion begin to roll inside her and knew she wouldn't be able to stop it. Her sister's hand tightened around her arm. Emily patted it gently. I'll be all right, she said. She watched idly as her sister attempted to remove a teacup handle from a delicately gloved finger. Some things don't change, thought Emily. Young Billy for another. She watched him titivating his tie and ogling the waitress. She, poor, pert thing, with good legs and a pleasant though desperate face, was pretending not to see. His girlfriend, Eunice, looked up once. God knows what he sees in her, thought Emily. 
She seemed squat and withdrawn, like a barrel fermenting quietly in a corner waiting for someone to tap it. It wouldn't be Billy. Emily could see that now. His eyes were following the waitress around the tables. She raised a finger to the waitress, then, as the stone rolled hard and implacable inside her, held her cup to the wrong side. The waitress had to bend far over the table. Billy's eyes stood out like chapel hat pegs. He looked up to find Emily smiling at him. She'd knocked the dust off him, thought Emily, while Eunice sifted the bits of chocolate flake that had drifted from the gatto and watched in silence. Wait here, sis, said Alice, once he'd reached the pavement outside. I'll get Derek to fetch the car around. She grabbed Billy, who'd been the last to leave, and who now quickly trammelled the bottom few steps, trying not to look as if he was catching up. If anybody tries to park, see him off, will you, Billy? All right, Mum. No, said Emily, surprised at the sudden firmness in her own voice and the crushing force of the stone inside her. I'll catch the bus. Don't be silly, said Alice. Do as you're told for once. Derek's already gone for the car. We have to go your way. It's no trouble. And even if it was, it's Albert's funeral. You'd have wanted it. How do you know? asked Emily. Well, well, exactly, said Emily. Here, Billy, I forgot to tip the waitress. She took a pound note from her bag and held it out. Would you mind? Billy smiled, straightened his tie, then took the stairs two at a time. Alice, said Emily, pulling her away from the edge of the road. How long is it since Albert and I got into a car with you and Derek? Don't know, said Alice, trying to peer amongst the traffic for the arrival of a pale puce hatchback. A while back, can't remember. Is it important now, today? It wasn't me, said Emily. It was Albert. Said he wouldn't ride with a hypocrite. Emily! Emily smiled. Alice's face was a grotesque mirror of emotion. She wrung her hands together until the black leather gloves squeaked in protest. Emily, how could you? Derrick has never, ever said a wrong word. Not to you nor Albert. Not ever. A pale puce hatchback drew up alongside them. The door swung open and Emily pushed her open-mouthed sister into the front. He didn't mean Derrick, she said. He knew about your boyfriend. She nodded at Derek, who smiled wanly back, unsure of what was happening. You can tell him it's a cleaning job, said Emily. But Albert knew better, and so does half the street. She closed the door. The car drew a few feet up the road and stopped, suddenly. Emily turned away towards the bus stop as Billy came hurrying down the stairs, his face flushed and bright. Emily kissed Eunice once, and very publicly, on the cheek. Bye, kids. Billy gave her hand an extra squeeze. Bye, Auntie. When the bus arrived, the first thing Emily noticed was how filthy it was inside. She scratched distractedly at a mark on the seat until she almost missed her stop. Next morning, Emily awoke, dressed and went downstairs. Entering the lower part of the house, she felt crushed by the tension of its held breath. 
She moved from room to room, opening curtains and windows, allowing it to exhale its quiet pressure onto the street until the rooms hung with the scent of silence from the pale wallpaper flowers. When the house is quiet like this, she thought, time seems to become elastic. She felt it stretch around her then, encompassing the day and all the little things that needed attention. The things Albert had made her leave alone. No, he'd say, it belongs there. Give it peace, woman. Well, he had all the peace he wanted now. He was right about one thing, though, thought Emily. There are things in life that will remain forever in the same place doing nothing until someone pushes. At 1pm, she turned on the radio to listen to the early news. On a sudden impulse, she pulled a duster from the drawer and rubbed the old pencil mark from the dial. Suddenly, the radio blared in something European, French maybe. Inexplicably, the voice filled the room with its change and made the stone inside her move again, charging her with its insistent motion. She picked up the teapot and lifted the lid. Inside, it was brown and deeply ingrained. It seemed an age before the scourer made any impact at all. At one thirty, she moved across the kitchen, idly spinning the radio dial. Static hissed back at her from the shelf where it glared like a cornered gnome. She advanced towards it, duster held in front. She flicked at the dial. Piano! Albert hated piano, so she turned it up. She pulled out a chair and sat down to eat toast. The tea was cold. When she'd turned on the grill, she'd noticed the marks on the cooker top and the knobs had been dirty, ingrained, static, needing a push. The soda was good, but it wrinkled her skin like a monkey's. Finishing the toast, she washed the plate and the teacup in the sink. The cup had a brown ring in the bottom. The rest of the tea service seemed to be the same. By the time she'd worked her way through into the living room, leaving behind kitchen cupboards neatly packed, their shelves covered in fresh, stiff sheets of greaseproof paper and sell-by dates calendared in precise rows, all the cups, plates and jugs had been stacked, or if cracked and chipped, thrown away. On the corner of the sideboard nearest the door, the telephone sat in patient silence. Emily eyed it watchfully then picked up Albert's dart trophy that was the furthest thing from it she could find. She dusted it, wiping with great effort and concentration down amongst the crevices and folds. It didn't look a bit like Albert. He didn't have many crevices and folds. She dusted the shelf beneath it and replaced it hurriedly in case the phone rang. The phone remained patiently silent. Emily watched it from the far corner. She listened to that silence, heard it not ringing with the great clarity and concentration that comes from a total awareness of that instrument and its capacity. We're sorry, it had said just ten days ago. We're sorry, Mrs Derry. It had even known her name, but then it had her number too. 
very sorry, Mrs. Derry, but Albert's been taken ill, and, well, we're very sorry, Mrs. Derry. Emily had never considered the possibility of a telephone as we, but then she only ever noticed the one, and out there, beyond this watchful silence, there must be what? Millions of them, and all of them sorry. No, not sorry, but very, very sorry, Mrs. Derry. Slowly and quietly, she got down to her hands and knees. Keeping her head below the level of the sideboard, she crawled to the cable connected to so much sorrow and snapped it from the socket. The phone glared in sorry impotence from its bland grey cradle. Daring now, she reached up and took it. First she wiped the dial and the little places where the plastic bar slid in and out, blowing into the crevices to flush out the dust of grief hiding in there and waiting so she would carry it to her ear where it could filter in and whisper to her in the darkness and the coldness and the light. She wiped the mouthpiece so that her next words would transmit themselves fresh and unattached with all things of the past, so that all things previously said could be forgotten and laid down in the dust. With Albert. And Albert. His mouth had been here. He'd spoken words. Where were they? She looked down into the mesh, hoping to find something that her moment's thoughtlessness had missed but they're gone. She might have saved something, a last goodbye, or a wrong number, but no, they were all gone. Moved. She wiped the space beneath the silent telephone and replaced it two inches to the left. No sooner had it left her fingers than it rang once. The sound hung in the air until Emily wondered if she'd really heard it. She picked it up, silence, and in the background, static. Emily stared at the unplugged cable while free electrons danced, bubbled and hissed sinuously in her ear. How could you? said the voice of Alice. The static hissed between her words like tears dripping effortlessly through leaves. How could you? Emily breathed slowly into the mouthpiece, filling the freshly cleaned space with her breath, with her present, displacing all the past that there might have been in there. The words came then, fresh, unsullied, free of all attachment. I'm... I'm sorry. Something... something moved in, inside of me, and I can't... I can't... Slowly, she replaced the receiver... Getting to her feet, more angry now than afraid, she went into the kitchen and returned with a large pair of scissors and cut the plug from the end of the phone wire. She picked up the handset. Silence. Total and absolute. She replaced it quietly on its cradle. It rang again. How could you? said Eunice. The static hiss scratched Emily's ear with the sound of fingernails scrabbling at plates for those tiny extra crumbs of comfort. How could you? It was, it was time, said Emily. You were taking up... 
time. She replaced the receiver once more. And there's never enough. She turned slowly and saw for the first time the dust that covered the whole of the room. The German silver fruit bowl with its black inlay caught the dusty light as Emily replaced it by the phone. She picked up the gilt picture frame next and wiped the space beneath it before sitting down to pick at the moulding with the corner of a cloth. Albert smiled up at her, static now, immobile, immovable. His face loomed at her from the depths of this gold-fringed abyss and tried to suck her downwards into the past. She put it down quickly, brushed her hand against the telephone. We're very sorry, Mrs. Derry, it had said. Mrs. Derry? Mrs. Derry? She opened the top drawer and began to polish the playing cards in their smart plastic pack. Then the table lighter, the corkscrew, the front edge of the drawer, and all the time moving the dust further and further back, pushing it from her and moving on, rolling with a huge boulder inside her, nudging it aside. The dried flower arrangement was proving difficult. The dust clung to every petal and leaf where Albert's old toothbrush couldn't dislodge it. Emily filled the sink and left them to soak. She picked up the clock. It was ten to eight. No wonder she was light-headed. She took three slices of bread from the cabinet and buttered them both sides to minimise the risk of crumbs. She rolled them together and held herself rigidly over the waistbin as she forced them into her mouth and down her throat against the sense of time rising from within her, regurgitating the past and reminding her of all the things she knew were attracting dust. She gagged on the bread, but managed to hold it down. She took out the waste bag with its few crumbs and folded it neatly into the bin in the yard. At the doorstep, she took off her shoes in case they carried in the smell and germs from outside. Without thinking, she removed her tights. She lifted the hem of her dress. It smelled strongly of dust. Emily returned to the clock and polished the shipwheel case, the brass cold against her naked skin as she clutched it tightly to her. She wiped the top of the cabinet and slid the clock back into place. A plastic doily slipped off the newly polished surface and disappeared down the back. Laid full length across the carpet, Emily peered under the cabinet. Along the top edge of the skirting board, the dust sat waiting. How long had it been there? Just waiting. She fetched the vacuum from the kitchen cupboard where it hid, shining and freshly buffed. She connected the hoses and attachments and reached beneath the cabinet just as the phone rang. It rang just once. It wouldn't ring again. It knew she had heard. She could tell by its air of calm indifference as it sat on the sideboard, daring her to ignore it, teasing her to want to know, to share in its grief-laden torrent of useless, redundant, second-hand words of no comfort. 
Emily reached over and lifted the receiver. It was Billy. She knew it was Billy. The hiss hugged itself to her, covering her skin with its soft sibilance. And in the background was the sound of Billy breathing hard. Billy just run down the steps. Billy just run up the steps. Billy laid out round and fat across some poor pert waitress and her good legs wrapped around him and him overlapping her, spilling over onto the floor and the thing he was giving her taking the desperation from her face only to put it back later when all the dust has settled. And Billy... Breathing hard and blowing that dust around, she breathing it in through her dark stockings and white cap and apron and open mouth, gasping, Thank you, thank you, thank you, in the dusty, musty air, and then only static. Hiss, hiss, hiss. But it was Billy. She knew. It was Billy. She put down the phone. No, Billy. Not thank you. Not for this. As the hissing stopped, the vacuum began. The carpet heaved beneath the pole of the cleaner. Its fibres sprang upright in the suction of air and the friction of dust. Emily pushed the tube hungrily into all the dark corners, into places she may have missed before, or places where the dust had whispered to her, convincing her that they were empty and clean and didn't need touching. The places where the dust had sat, in darkness, quietly breeding, unseen and unsuspected, and waiting for her to become distracted, to take her eye off the ball, and here it came now, tumbling out and covering everything and erasing all the changes she was trying to make. Emily knew why it was here. It had come to try to convince her that change was futile. If something moved, you could perhaps see for a time where it had once been, until the dust settled again, and made it look as if it had always been that way, as though a change had never taken place. She understood now why Albert had believed that some things should never move. That way the dust can't obliterate the changes, but Emily was ready for a fight. She stubbed the tube into the space behind the television, the vacuum lifted a corner of the rug. Beneath it, a line of dust sat complacent around the edge. Emily began to move the furniture. As she shifted one end of the sideboard, the phone rang. She cut the wire to the exchange that came in through the hole drilled in the corner of the window, then snipped the wire that connected the receiver to the cradle and ignored it. The phone in the hall rang once. How could you? said Derrick. The static whined plaintively, implacable in its similarity of tone, and in the background was the sound of hearts awakening and eyes snapping open like roller shutters on market day, and all things laid out bare and inescapable and carrying a terrible price of... How could you? I thought... I could afford it, said Emily. I thought I had 
the time. But the dust, you see, it won't wait. She put the telephone back on the hook and snipped the connecting wire. Looking down, she noticed the edge of the skirting where the line of dust rode upwards, unperturbed in its conquest of the stairs. Emily slid finally into bed, between crisp white sheets, freshly spread, ironed and smoothed into place. The soft pillowcase beneath her head took the dust from her hair and from the places where it had hidden ingrained in the folds of her skin. Around her, the house shone like a monumental beacon to change. The windows were cleaned, fastened and locked. In all the rooms, the furniture had been rearranged, scratches stained and repolished, carpets vacuumed and shampooed, curtains washed and the bulbs changed in the light fittings. In the garage, Albert's old car shone like a showroom demagogue. She slipped, exhausted, between the cool of the sheets, wondering idly what she would do with the rest of her life. On the table beside the bed, the castrated telephone rang once. Without thinking, in that halfway house between sleep and frustration, she picked it up. How could you? said Albert. In her ear, the hiss of static pulse with the beat of discordant hearts. How could you? Emily smashed her handset against the wall. Wires sprang from the cheap casing. Bits of plastic showered the newly cleaned floor beside the bed. Emily leapt from the sheets to pick them up. Microphones and speakers dangled, puppet-like, from tiny circuit boards that crushed easily between her fingers. We're sorry, Mrs Derry, they said. We're very, very sorry. And in every room, from where it had floated unnoticed, silently pressed against the ceiling by the heat rising from the now-cooled radiators, the dust began to settle. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a from Nelly. Bye bye.